Okay, good morning. Good morning, great to see you guys. I am usually not at this site. If you don't know who I am, my name's Ian. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and I'm usually down at 502 uh, Ashley Road at our other site. Uh, it is a nice morning this morning, isn't it? But, guys, you're supposed to be Southern Softies, and some of you have turned up in shorts and t-shirt. I'm very impressed. I'm, I'm feeling the cold even today, so uh, it is only April, but I'm, I'm very impressed you're wearing shorts and t-shirt, t-shirts. I think I'm the one who's a Southern Softie now, so... Uh, anyway, we have been working through our preaching series, Who is Jesus? I don't know about you, but I have been loving it. It's just been really good to get back to basics, uh, to be reminded of the simple truths of the gospel of who Jesus is. We've been working through the final week of Jesus' life, and uh, according to Dr. Luke's gospel, uh, we have seen that he, he came in triumphantly, Jesus came in triumphantly uh, at the beginning of the week as the king, declared as this king, and the crowds cheer him on, and they, they cheer him into Jerusalem. But a lot has happened since then. Uh, the religious authorities have uh, been challenging Jesus. They've been trying to trip him up. In fact, they were baying for his blood, and they got their wish by the Friday. And on the Friday, we saw uh, that Jesus went to the cross and he died on that cross. And it looked as though all hope had gone. That cheering crowd was a distant memory because death is final, is it not? Death is final. It's finished. Some walked away gleefully. Ha! Told you so. Others, like the two men who were heading home on that dusty road to Emmaus, after the Passover fest festivities, they were disappointed and despondent. Ah, I thought there was hope. We saw hope in this man, Jesus. We thought maybe he's the one who's come to save us from the Romans and save us from our sin. But there's no hope. He's dead. But over dinner, they discovered that the man they'd walked home with and is now sitting in front of them was the same Jesus who had died on the cross. They realized why their hearts had been on fire as Jesus explained to them on that road that the whole of the Old Testament was all about him. From priests to temples, from sacrifices to the law, it had all been about Jesus, and he's come, and he's fulfilled it, and he is not dead, he is alive. And so last week when we celebrated Easter together, and we say, he is risen, he is risen indeed, it was so special for me that we were working through this Who is Jesus series, and we just reached that, that moment in the story where the women who had been following Jesus went to the tomb, and it was empty. He's alive. He is not dead. And there is hope. And so today we transition from that final seek, uh, scene of Luke's gospel to his sequel, Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Luke shows us that this one, what this one man, Jesus, had achieved for all men, for all men and for all women. And as he leaves, and he's ascending on high, he offers world-changing purpose 
and a promise to empower. Even for people like me and for people like you. That is good news. So who is Jesus? He's the one who gifts us purpose and promises us the power that we need to live it out. So let's turn to Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53. We'll read that first. And then, like I say, we're, we're, we're bridging. We're going on to the sequel today. So we're going we're gonna to read uh, the beginning of Acts as well. So we'll go to Acts 1, verses 1 through 14. The first passage is page 623, and the second is page 640. Verse 50, then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple, blessing God. And then let's go to, to Acts, page 640. Verse 50. This is the trouble with having two passages, isn't it? You could have flicked between. Yeah, page 640, chapter 1, and the first 14 verses. In the, book, the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven. And he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were, where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. The summer of uh, 1942 had not been a good one for Britain and her allies. The troops were feeling despondent and after a series of major uh, defeats from Dunkirk all the way to Singapore, it wasn't looking good. It seemed like there was really not much hope. 
But by November, Erwin Rommel's infamous Panzer Division, who had been dominating the, the North African Front for the Nazis, was defeated by the British. It was a huge breakthrough for the Allies. And Winston Churchill, he sensed it. He sensed that the whole momentum of this war was about to change. So he stood up in the House of Commons the next day and he said this. We have a new experience. We have victory. A remarkable and definite victory. Now this is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end. But it is perhaps the end of the beginning. A new phase had begun. The end of the beginning was here. Momentum was shifting. It was turning around. The allies were filled with hope. And so too were these followers of Jesus. The battle to defeat death had been won. And the sun was rising on a new dawn. Dr. Luke begins his sequel this way. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, that's someone dear to God, I wrote all about that which Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Began to do and teach. The end of the beginning had arrived, but it certainly wasn't the end. All that we see Jesus do in the Gospels, that was the beginning of Christianity. But God wasn't finished yet. When we read through the Gospels, I don't know about you, but when I read through the Gospels, I'm amazed. I think, wow, look at this. Look at what Jesus has done here. Look at his compassion. Look at his love. Look at this wonderful man. Look at the, look at the power that, that works through him. I'm blown away as I read through it. But, but just think about that for a minute. That was just the beginning. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Just the beginning. Luke says Jesus had spent 40 days since the resurrection speaking in and around Jerusalem about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was always on Jesus' mind. Luke records Jesus saying the kingdom of God almost 40 times throughout his gospel in Luke. In Luke 4.43, when Jesus is being begged by the crowd in Capernaum to stay and just keep feeding them, keep teaching them, keep healing, Jesus says no. Why does he say no? He says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Why did God send his son to the world? On a great mission to proclaim and spread the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus had kingdom purpose about absolutely everything that he did. And so here Jesus was at Bethany, just east of Jerusalem. And as he is about to leave, he doesn't just abandon them and say, that's it, the end. He sets them up for the sequel. And he says that they would be the ones who would continue his mission. This next book 
was to record this incredible uh, next stage of the advancement of the kingdom of God, to record what happens just after the beginning. Here comes the kingdom of God advancing out of Jerusalem. And it's the followers who will receive authority and power to continue in it. Okay, there's something in my, uh, my PR training that tells me that this statement or this, this title for the book of Acts probably isn't pithy enough to make it, okay? Um, but I love it. James Boyce, a pastor in the States, um, said Acts shouldn't really be called the Acts of the Apostles or, or even the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the church of Jesus Christ through God's people. Yes, that's what it should be called. I love that. The acts of the Holy Spirit in the church of Jesus Christ through God's people. Over the past couple of days, some of us were at a leaders conference uh, with Advance UK, this movement of churches that we uh, have the privilege of belonging to. And one of the things I love most about being at those sorts of things is that you hear stories of what God is doing in different places. There was one guy who was telling us about how um, there was a, a, a guy who's been coming along to his church. He's got in touch because he's been having dreams uh, over a series of nights uh, that where in this dream, this cross is rising up out of the river from the city that he belongs to. And uh, he's actually from a, a Muslim sect, so he's, he hasn't really had any kind of Christian exposure before. And, and every night the cross is rising out of this river, so he comes to the church, I want to find out more about Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? There is another guy who was saying that he's had a friendship for four years with this Jewish guy, and suddenly the Jewish guy says, look, I want to take you out for dinner, and over dinner he says, I believe, I believe in Jesus, now I get this. Jesus is alive, I get it. There's another story of a woman who was healed and when she was healed, um, she came along uh, to church the following week, not just herself, but her whole family. <laughs> and now they're all saved. They're born again. They're worshiping together in the church. We heard about a new church plant happening in Falmouth. Falmouth. Not Falmouth, right? Falmouth. Um, and, and they have 25 people who are willing to go and just start this new church to, to, to do that hard work, that gospel work in Falmouth. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it amazing to be a part of a movement of churches like that? Where they just, they're, we're just hearing these stories of how God is at work and on the move and how the kingdom of God did not end when Jesus ascended into to heaven, but it's continuing to advance. It advances in our day. We also uh, had the privilege of being part of uh, giving to Nepal, where there are lots of church plants going on with contacts we have through Advance, um, and with Turkey, a church that we have contact with over there in Istanbul. And uh, I, I don't want to steal the thunder because Paul is going to come and announce how much was given, but it was extraordinary and just amazing to be a part of. Verse 6 tells us the disciples are asking questions about this kingdom and what it will achieve. And we might have some questions of our own, but this was their question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? 
And that would be the question of, of Luke's readers, these Jewish readers. Because they, they want to know, is, is Jesus going to free Israel from the shackles of Rome? Are we going to be the nation that we were always been promised that we would become? Jesus, will you restore Israel as the champion of nations rather than this embarrassment that we are now shackled by Rome? Now, Jesus doesn't give an explicit answer, you'll notice. Yet one day Israel will be restored and that will happen in God's timing which was actually an echo of the words that Jesus had used previously when he was talking about the restoration of all things. But if that's not explicit, he is explicit about this. He says it's about the beginning of a mission that isn't about one nation anymore, and actually it never really was, but it's about the ends of the earth. God's promise to Abraham, this founding father of Israel, was to be a blessing to the nations. And that promise is about to be unleashed. This is about all nations. It's about all people groups. This is a worldwide mission to every people group of the world. People used to come into Jerusalem to get a taste of the kingdom of God, to be near the temple and his presence. But that's all about to change. It's about a spill out from Jerusalem. This is a worldwide mission, starting with the people of Jerusalem. Can you imagine the disciples thinking, okay, Jerusalem, that's quite a big place. There's quite a lot of people. Okay, okay, Jesus, we'll, we'll, we'll try and do that. Okay, great. And then Judea. Oh, Judea. Mm. Okay, I'm not sure. They'll really, we're from Galilee, so I'm not really sure they'll respect us, but okay, we'll, we'll try that. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Samaria, are you kidding? Samaria, that, those people are, they're, they're unclean. We can't, we can't go to Samaria. Are you sure? Samaria, Does Jesus, did Jesus just say Samaria? And to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. <laughs> Jesus, we're, we're just simple people. Widen your vision. God's not finished. He's going to take you on an adventure and make you world changers. That's what he's saying to them. And that's what makes this outrageous. Jesus, the star player, the champion, is leaving and he says the kingdom of God is going to advance through everyday people who simply believe and are available. On Wednesday night, Lindsay and I were trying to eat dinner and settle Annabelle at the same time. And uh, so one of us would take a few minutes with Annabelle and the other would take a few minutes trying to sort out dinner and what we're doing. And we'd swap over and just kind of went on like that. And so in the background, we've got the TV on and we decided we would watch Take Me Out. <laughs> it really is drivel, but it's good fun. <laughs> no likey, no likey. If you've not seen it, it's Paddy McGuinness who introduces it. You've got 30 women who come out. It's kind of like a new school blind date in a way. Um, it's not so blind. And so they, they, they come down the steps, they do their thing, they get behind some podiums and they've got a light on, okay? Uh, at the front of their podium, they've got a light on. And then some guy will come down a lift and he kind of like dances his way in. Looking ridiculous every time, no matter how good they are at dancing. And then throughout the show, 
they have opportunities to uh, kind of show off what they're, what they're about. And then uh, the women can turn their light off at any time. So if they turn the light off, they're out there running. Okay? But if you've got your light on at the end, then you could be picked to go to the Isle of Fernando. So that's how it works. And anyway, we were watching this, embarrassingly, and um, the first guy that comes down um, is like a model. He's amazing. So the, the, all these women are, are just jaws dropping. They can't believe what's happening. And he dances in, and he actually can dance. It's quite incredible. And so he does quite well, and he has quite a lot of uh, women to choose from at the end. And then the next guy who comes in is, shall we say, a little bit older, and uh, he likes to wear cravats. And he tries to dance in, and there's no mistaking the dad dancing. <laughs> it's proper dad dancing. And uh, unfortunately, lights go off really quickly. And then throughout, more lights go off, more lights go off. And then right near the end, the last light went off. And it's really sad. <laughs> really is. And what makes it even worse, and what makes it really cruel, is that when that happens, they play this song. And it goes, all by myself. And he's like having to wave, and you can see him like smiling, but I really am crying inside. It's, it's horrendous. It's the same on the X Factor in Britain's Got Talent, isn't it? You, it's not a light that goes out, but you're not good enough. Get off the stage next. You have people who pin their hopes and dreams on being accepted, getting a date, or uh, becoming this great singer, whatever it is. They see their great purpose in life being fulfilled in these things. But then they just hear, next, light off. School dances, it's getting picked for sports teams, it's uh, friendship cliques, it's exams, it's interviews over and over and over again in life, isn't it? That's how it works. That's how the world works. It's a constant battle to be accepted and judged to be good enough for the things that we think will give our life's purpose. And no matter how good we get at something, there's always the next thing that will just give us that bit more purpose in life. But eventually we all find ourselves doing a proverbial dad dance, don't we? Embarrassed and rejected because we haven't made the grade. Here's the good news. Jesus turns all of that upside down. With Jesus, we will never hear the buzzer. The light will never go off. God has gifted his mission to us, and in it, we find purpose. The disciples had denied Jesus when they should have been there beside him. Their theology is often wrong. Uh, they continually argue with each other about, like little school children about who's the best. Even at the Passover meal, they were still doing it. They just weren't learning. If that was in the world, the world would give them no chance. Hit your button, light out, next. Not Jesus. They said of Jesus, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. They scoffed at the disciples, common men from Galilee. 
But here in Bethany, Jesus is about to ascend to the throne as Lord over all things. And in a few chapters, the religious elites will look at the disciples with astonishment and say, these uneducated men are so bold and courageous. And because of it, they would recognize that they've been with Jesus. Jesus turns the whole thing upside down. Jesus was embodying the purposes of God that Isaiah had prophesied hundreds of years previously. He will teach his way, us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. During the Passover festivities, you've had believers just swarming Jerusalem to get close to the festivities, to get close to the temple, to get close to, what, uh, to, to a place where they could find forgiveness and freedom. But now, it's bursting out of Jerusalem. And they're anticipating this moment when it would begin, when, this, when the church would be born. And out of Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth, the kingdom would advance. God's kingdom is breaking out. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been called to be a part of that, every single one of us. But maybe you just don't feel you're able. Maybe you feel like it's just too much. This is for others. It's not for me. I'm reserved. I'm shy. I'm too selfish. I, I don't feel it like you do. But you don't need the brain of Matt Hosier to contribute, to participate. You don't need to have the voice of Vicky Stamp to participate. Vicky Stamp, I pointed the wrong way. Guys, whoever we are, we are called to participate. God is never turning that light out. It's on. The gift is there for us to receive. Purpose is available. Grab hold of it. Jesus reminds his followers of a promise that brings powerful words to our feeble lips, that releases people from pain, that offers forgiveness to the greatest of sinners, that heals the sick and awakens hearts, a promise that empowers us to look out and not in. You feel unable? This promise is what you need. His promise is that the Holy Spirit, the same spirit of power that raised Jesus from the dead, will fall on you. It will fall on his followers. And when the Spirit falls on his followers, we will have all we need, they will have all they need to fulfill this world-changing purpose. In verse 5, Jesus says, John baptized you with water, but in a few days he will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, we see, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. John the Baptist's prophetic word had arrived. Here is the one whose donkey and cattle poo covered uh, sandals he was unable, uh, not worthy to untie, 
who said he wouldn't baptize with water, but he'd baptize with fire. The Holy Spirit would be poured out on his people. It is the power of the Spirit advancing that is the carrier of the kingdom of God to the people that God is reaching with his love. It's God's power and ability that does that work. It's not ours. That pressure is not on us. That pressure that the world is constantly putting on us to be better, to do better, is not on us when it comes to these purposes. We just need to make ourselves available. That's all we have to do. Jesus says the gift comes from his Father. A gift from a loving dad. It's a promise from the universe's ultimate authority. We can rely on this promise. And it's one gift that the followers of Jesus just cannot afford to leave unopened. Have you left it unopened? It's available for you. If you've left it unopened, I urge you later today, pray with someone. Ask someone to pray for you that the Spirit would fall on you. That you'd be empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. They needed, these followers, they needed huge amounts of transformation. Think about who we're talking about here. They're, they're supposed to reach the ends of the earth. It's these disciples, these bumbling disciples. They needed the authority and power of God. They needed love, compassion, boldness, patience, joy, selflessness. They needed unity. They needed even more than that. And they would receive it. And the book of Acts was written. It's not so much about psyching ourselves up for being a champion. It's much more about us being sent as part of the one true champion's advancing kingdom. We're sent in his power. 151 years ago, the great missionary Hudson Taylor left the UK for China And what God did through him was extraordinary. He could be uh, described as a true world changer. The time he died, he and the rest of the missionaries in inland China had seen more than 25,000 people come to faith. And one of the major reasons that there are now over 160 million believing Christians in China today is because of the work that God did through Hudson Taylor. Why was he so successful? Was he more talented than everyone else? No. In his own words, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because he reckoned on God being with them. If we want to see the blind receive sight, the lame walk, if we want to see those who have leprosy cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead raised, and the good news proclaimed to the poor like we see in the Gospels, then we need to resist this urge that we have to be independent and self-reliant people. And instead, we need to rely wholly on the power of the Holy Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes a book called Joy Unspeakable. 
in it, he says this. If your doctrine of the Holy Spirit does not include the idea of the Holy Spirit falling upon people, it is seriously, grievously defective. This, it seems to me, has been the trouble, especially during the present century. Indeed, almost for a hundred years, the whole notion of the Holy Spirit falling upon people has been discountenanced and discouraged. Surely, one of the prime explanations of the present state of the Christian church. If we want to see the church look like this kingdom of God that we see in Acts, exploding out of Jerusalem and and moving uh, to the ends of the earth, then we need so desperately to be seeking the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this. He can. We can't do this. Jesus can by the power of his Holy Spirit. Then as Jesus says this blessing over his friends as he is about to be raised off the ground before their very eyes, we need to keep in mind what is going on here. Now as they watched him rise, they wouldn't be thinking he's off to a place kind of just out of their sight, like this, this place that's just beyond that cloud, and it's almost like they're looking up to see that he gets in safely through that door, you know? That, they, they don't think of a, a physical place that's just there, high in the sky. They are, uh, the, when, when we think about the heavens and heaven, Heaven throughout the Bible has been this, uh, it's, it's a real place, but it's a, it's, there's symbolic, there's figurative language going on when we say that it's high above, it's, it's up. So it's not as if they thought, yeah, okay, it's just there beyond that cloud, that's, that's roughly where it is, and you know, it's somewhere we can find. If we got a space shuttle and, and went to try and find it, we'd find it. That's, that's not what's being said here. The important thing here is that the throne in heaven is above all other thrones. That, that heaven is above everything. It's figurative language to help us to see that when Jesus rises into the sky when he ascends on high he ascends as the king of kings and the lord of lords he ascends as god and so when they watch him and they see him rise and they see him rise as god and he's declared as as king over rome even then they they see that he has truly had the victory that death that they saw on the friday had not had the the victory. But Jesus coming back from the dead to new life and rising on high, he had proved that he was God. And so Jesus is above all things. They'd be thinking of Psalms like Psalm 8. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Jesus is king of the universe, and as he ascends, he is identifying as God. And so rightly, we we see the disciples worship him. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The disciples weren't filled with grief, were they? They didn't look up at him departing and think, oh, th- this, is, this is awful. We've lost our best friend, our champion, our king, our leader. They are filled with great joy. 
Why? Because I, I think they finally understood it. They finally get it. It was only just the beginning. Jesus was rising on high and everything, absolutely everything he said could be guaranteed to be true because he's God. They could trust him and they could trust him implicitly. There was nothing they couldn't trust about him. The beginning of a a great adventure for the disciples was when Jesus rose on high because he knew what he'd promised, what would come 10 days later. A couple of angels appear to them as they stare into the sky in awe of Jesus and say, look, stop looking up. Stop looking into the sky. Get on with it. Because Jesus will return one day. When Jesus leaves, it's the beginning of his advancing, uh, the end of the beginning of his advancing kingdom. When he returns, he will restore all things and his kingdom will be complete. Until then, that's us, the church, including every single one of us. We have a spirit-empowered, world-changing, kingdom purpose to live out together. We need to live in light of his ascension as God and of his return to restore all things. If we can do that, if we can get to grips with the truth of that, then surely we will do all that we can to, to be with him, receive power from him, and be sent out in his glory and his power so that we might reach people for this glorious kingdom that transforms lives and, and makes people new. Because we want them to to know what it is when Jesus returns. We'll we'll want them to to be able to say, yes, Jesus, you're the one I love. You've returned. Oh, this kingdom is going to be complete. That's glorious. Thank you, Lord. We we want people to to be in that place. There is a a subtle but extremely important lesson for us at the end of this passage as well. They went back to Jerusalem to the temple to pray and worship. That's what Jesus had told them to do, so that's what they went to do. They waited. They waited for the promise. The promise to be empowered when the kingdom of God would be on the move. To live out this gift of kingdom purpose in the power of the Holy Spirit, we must begin in prayer together. If we want the power of God, we need to seek the intimacy of God. We don't just click our fingers and and suddenly the power of God starts to work through us. It flows out of intimacy with God. The more we know him, the more we become like him. I'm not talking knowledge about him. I'm talking about really knowing him. The more we really know him, the more we know how to listen to his voice the more we're in tune with what, what it is that the Spirit is doing around us and, and the more we get to see this advancing kingdom doing its work. Tim Keller, a pastor and writer in New York, said in his book on prayer that prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. 
It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. We want this power to fulfill this purpose. Be with God. Let's be regular in making sure that we have time with Jesus. Whatever you have to do to get time out, to spend time with him in any given day, do it. Even if it's five minutes and that's just a start, then do it. Then try and get 10, then try and get half an hour, then try and get an hour and be sent out from those places too with his power. So who is Jesus? Well, in 10 days' time, we're going to see, uh, well, in a week's time, we'll learn about the 10 days' time in this passage. You know what I mean? Uh, we'll see that the church is born and these promises come true. And so who is Jesus? Well, he's the one who gifts us world-changing purpose and empowers us to live it out. He has passed on his mission to us as a free gift as he's ascended into heaven. And now it is up to us to receive that. So as, as we respond, yes, next week we're going to talk about Pentecost when the Spirit falls, but we know it's already happened. So we're going to celebrate that today. As we respond, we're going to celebrate that the Spirit is here in you. Those of us who believe, the Spirit is in us. It's temples of the Holy Spirit. And God wants to give you and refresh you in your purpose. Your purpose to live out the mission that he has gifted you. Whether that is to your neighbors. Remember, it started in Jerusalem. Not all of us will go to Timbuktu. Some of us will, will, will remain in the one house that we've lived in all of our years. And be able to live out this world-changing purpose. So it's for all of us. So as we respond, can I encourage you, go and find someone for prayer. And, and just pray together and ask God to pour out his spirit on you. And reclaim this glorious promise that he's given you. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for his wonderful life. But thank you, God, that it was just the beginning. And that, Father, uh, there is more to come. Thank you for the book of Acts that we're about to explore. And God, I pray for uh, more books of Acts to be played out here as your kingdom advances in places like Poole and Bournemouth. Come, Lord Jesus, use us in power. Help us to have faith for big things because, Jesus, you proved when you ascended on high that you were God and you have all authority over the heavens and the earth.